Well, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning. And good morning to you. I am Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning, both online and in the YMCA. Always good to worship together as we continue to rebuild the habit of worshiping together and serving together on Sunday morning. To Echo Gray, thank you for stepping up to serve as we move to having kids at both services next week. Uh, Not surprised that you did that, but always thankful that you did. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, There's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. You may have noticed, but after the, uh, they'll do the sermon, Gray will lead us in communion, then we'll have some songs after the sermon. Uh, We have the the little baskets are back. Uh, So the idea is, and you may remember that if you've been part of the church since 2019, all those, you know, a decade ago, uh, you may remember that after the, the songs, after the sermon, folks could come and bring a prayer request, bring a tithe, bring an offering. We used to pass a thing around to do that. We decided not to do that, but instead to, to bring the baskets back. So if you have a prayer request, a tithe, an offering, a, a sign up to serve, anything that you want to give as part of your response to God, you can always put it in those songs after the sermon in one of those baskets right there, one of the four baskets. Uh, or if you forget or you're a little shyer than that, there's also a basket on the way out the door, a little smaller one on the round table. If you're at home, Gray already said you can email prayer requests to davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org or go to lakeforest.org slash give. Well, before I do the sermon today, I need to take a personal moment to update you, to thank you for your support, for your prayers over these past weeks. Uh, On Monday, Mandy and I's oldest, our four-year-old, Indiana, we call her Indy, had her second open-heart surgery, and I'm pleased to say, praise God, by God's grace, it was a miraculous success. She, she is actually home recuperating now, which again, I would have milked an appendectomy for more than this, but she is already home recuperating. Um, it went so well, in fact, this, the last thing we did before we left is they did an echocardiogram, that's like an ultrasound of her heart. And as the technician was doing the the echo, I was going to ask her, how does her heart look? But before I could ask, she asked me the question, so what exactly did she have done? That told me all I needed to know. So I did did not have to ask. So immensely thankful for your prayers, for your support of us. I want to especially say thank you, our mission partners. I was so thankful for the global nature of the Christian faith. We've had folks, because of our partnerships, we've had folks as far as Nigeria and Bolivia praying for Indy. I want to thank our elders who continually reiterate to me that my calling as a husband and a dad is more important than my calling as a pastor. Uh, And I want to just 
say thank you specifically to our community group. We, like you, have to find a smaller pocket of belonging in a church our size, and our community group has walked with us not just through this, but through like the four and a half years of Indy's heart stuff. And so we are immensely thankful. When you have a medically fragile kid, you know the journey is never quite over. Uh, and yet, after years and years and years of hiking up, we kind of feel like this last week, we, kind of, we finally reached the top of a mountain. And uh, so we know there's more to come, but man, the view is great. The view is great. And it's one of those moments where you like, no, 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 God's goodness, like right here. You don't always get to have that, but this is one where you just know, no, no, God's goodness right here. And uh, I'm glad we got to do it together. Indy is one of my clearest reminders that God's mercy triumphs, and so the triumph marches on. Today, we're going to continue our year-long, all 2021, series of sermons called The Story with a capital S. We're looking at the big picture of the Bible, that from the beginning of time, God has been writing a great story in this world. He invites you and me to come and find our place in it. We're trying to make the Bible a little less big, a little less intimidating, and today is a big day for us because the Bible's divided into two halves. There's the Old Testament, that's what predates the earthly ministry of Jesus. Then there's the New Testament, the earthly ministry of Jesus and the immediate aftermath. Now, I call them halves, but the Old Testament is much longer than the New Testament, so they're not technically halves, but I don't know another word to pick. So today is the end of the Old Testament. We have reached the end of the first half, which is more than a half, of the Bible. So we're going to make the transition. And we're ending with the last book of the Old Testament, which is the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi. Noah read for us earlier the last verses of the Old Testament. They are a little fiery, as Malachi tends to be, but they are also hopeful. Malachi wrote at the conclusion of all the events of the Old Testament. And his major message is, for all that we've been through, we really haven't been transformed. For all that we've been through, we really haven't been transformed. And then he goes on to list out example after example after example of how God's people have not really been changed by what they've gone through. Have you ever seen this in your own life or seen it in the lives of other people? that some people go through things and they are transformed by them. They come out the other side with a newfound relationship with Jesus, the Christ, or with a deeper relationship with Jesus. And then other people go through the exact same thing and come out unchanged, or come out mostly unchanged, just a little more bitter. How can some people go through the same thing and some find deeper hope, deeper confidence, deeper strength, a deeper sense of their identity as God's child, and other people come out unchanged? The point Malachi is making is we need more than events. Events alone do not transform us. But what? But what transforms us? This is Malachi's question, that after all God's people have been through throughout the first half of the Bible, why haven't we been transformed? And then he just starts listing out examples. Oh boy. You know that friend or family member you have that just can't leave controversial topics alone? That's Malachi. Malachi makes everyone a little uncomfortable. So just imagine you're sitting at Thanksgiving dinner, and you hear Malachi 
<clears throat> clear his throat. Malachi chapter 2. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. The Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your covenant marriage. So one of Malachi's examples of how things are not going so well, after all we've been through, we haven't been transformed. One example he points to is that a lot of the men have been divorcing their Israelite wives and breaking their vows to them, leaving them destitute, to then go and marry women who don't even worship God in the first place. God has been so faithful to us, says Malachi, why hasn't more of that faithfulness seeped deep down in our souls? and made us faithful, faithful to our spouses, faithful to our vows, faithful to worshiping God alone. So Malachi is troubled that God's faithfulness has not made his people faithful. But wait, there's more. Malachi 3, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So now Malachi channels the very words of God and specifically highlights some injustices that are being committed, committed against people who can't defend themselves, who have no real rights, who have no real voice, people not being paid their wages, people taking advantage of widows and orphans, people treating immigrants unfairly. And God says, when you mistreat the powerless, I take note of that. When you mistreat the vulnerable, I take note of that. So even a healthy respect for God would change how we treat vulnerable people. And Malachi wonders, why hasn't God's mercy seeped deeper down in our souls and made us merciful? So now Malachi is also troubled that God's mercy has not made God's people merciful. But wait, there's more. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Now at this point, how many folks are hoping we invite Malachi to come preach next Sunday? And I want you to know, I'm not cherry picking. I'm just going in order of the book. He's on a roll. <laughs> Malachi now tells the people they are robbing the Lord, and the people are stunned. They say, we don't take money out of the little baskets. We don't take money out of the offering plate. And Malachi says, yes, but you don't put much in either. And he's referring here to tithing. Tithing refers to giving the first 10% of our income to God's work in the world as our way of saying thank you to God, that everything comes from God, and we give at least 10% back to God's work through our church family, through ministries, through missionaries. We give at least 10% back to God's work to express our gratitude, to remind our hearts of how good God is and that everything good comes from God. 
In fact, here in a few weeks, we're going to start our campaign called Established in Love to raise money to build our church building on South Main Street in Davidson. I'm not going to invite Malachi to speak, though I think about it sometimes. I'm really looking forward to it. And not just because we're going to build a building, but because of how God uses these sort of things in each of our lives. Because God says, test me in this, that I will be generous to you as you release some of my money back to me. In fact, one of the most consistent things I've heard coming out of our Rooted Land campaign is this exact thing, that people felt like, we felt like, Mandy and I felt like we were really stretching in our financial commitment. It was the largest financial commitment we had ever made to anything. And yet, we've seen God provide. In fact, we've seen God be generous. As folks have taken new steps of faith in their giving, they've seen God be generous in return. I'm excited for that to be part of your story, too. The spiritual growth of the congregation is the primary goal of Established in Love campaign that we're going to start. I sure hope we raise enough money for a building. But if the congregation grew, that'll be enough. So Malachi says, after God has been so generous to us, why hasn't more of that generosity seeped deep down in our soul? So now in summary, Malachi is concerned that God's faithfulness, God's mercy, and God's generosity has not made his people faithful, merciful, and generous. Some of that probably hits a little too close to home. Malachi is not here looking for friends. He's more that guy you thank years later for telling you the thing you didn't want to hear at the time. After all we've been through, Malachi says, we've not been transformed. Events alone don't transform us. So what do we need? We don't just need events We need a personal intervention. We need God to personally intervene, the God who desires to be with his people. We need him to personally intervene in our lives. That's what this sermon is about. In fact, that's in retrospect what my whole week has been about. For there to be a real change, someone has to intervene and be allowed to tinker with our hearts. Someone has to take all the events of our lives and use them as a tool through which our hearts, too, are going to be repaired. So Malachi ends his book and ends the whole Old Testament with the passage Noah read for us earlier. It's sort of the answer to his concerns that for all of our struggles, God still wants to be actively involved in our lives. God still desires to point us in a new direction and to take the events of yesterday and today and tomorrow and to transform us into the people he's always wanted us to be. How do we see God's personal intervention in our lives to try to make us more faithful, more merciful, more generous? How do we see God's personal intervention in our lives? At least three ways to close out the Old Testament. God's personal intervention in our lives, number one, number one, number, 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 number one is through Scripture. God's personal intervention in our lives is number one through Scripture. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence. 
So in this verse, there's this sort of itty-bitty little remnant of people who still desire to be changed. They desire to become more merciful, more faithful, more generous. So they get together and they talk about God. And then they write a scroll. A scroll is written so that they might remember. I take that as a symbol of the Bible. That God has personally intervened in our lives by giving us His Word, by giving us His Scripture. The the Scripture helps us interpret the events of our lives in a God-centered way. Scripture helps us interpret events in a God-centered way. Scripture helps us respond to events in a God-centered way. So that everything that happens to us is not just some random thing, but is an opportunity to walk closer to God. Everything that happens to us is not a random thing. It's an opportunity to cultivate a more God-centered life. And when God seems silent, and sometimes God seems silent, The Bible allows us to remember what God has already said, what God has already done. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Scripture, studied in community, talked about with other people seeking to know God, Scripture is one of God's primary interventions in our lives. Number two, God's personal intervention in our lives. Number two is the hope of eternity. The hope of eternity. Malachi 4.2 But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. If you're not as familiar with uh, calves... You might think a puppy dog in an open field. They weren't that familiar with puppy dogs in open fields, but it's the same kind of an image. The hope of eternity is God's second personal intervention in our lives. Interestingly, both the Old Testament and the New Testament end with a vision of eternity. Both halves of the Bible end with a reminder that this is not the end. Whatever you are going through today is not the end. Whatever dead end you have hit is not the end. God is writing a grand future for all of us who have become His children by faith. Whatever you're in the midst of today may be tough, but it is not the last page. The hope of eternity frames every event that we experience. The hope of eternity reframes every event that we experience. The hope of eternity is the backdrop against which we grieve every loss. The hope of eternity is the backdrop against which we face every obstacle. God does not want us to be fearful or ignorant of what the future holds. God makes clear He will set all things right, and He will bring to Himself all those who truly have loved Him. So God personally intervenes in our lives with a promise, the promise of eternity in His presence, His presence that will heal us with the warmth of the rising sun, His presence that will satisfy us and make us truly free, free to frolic like well-fed calves. The hope of eternity frames and reframes. So Scripture helps us interpret 
and respond to events. The hope of eternity helps us frame and reframe events. But then the Old Testament ends with these words. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So the end of the Old Testament is God saying, I'm going to send you a prophet, a great prophet. It's going to be a tremendous prophet. It's going to be an Elijah Caliper prophet. And he will change your hearts. He will turn your hearts in a new direction. And if even he cannot change your hearts, then I will give up on my creation. That's a lot of pressure if you're the prophet. But it also turns out it's God's third intervention in our lives. God's personal intervention in our lives, number three, number three, finally. Only three points today. Number three. God's personal intervention in our lives is number three, through the promised prophet who will change our hearts. The promised prophet who will change our hearts. The Scripture helps us interpret and respond to events. The hope of eternity helps us frame and reframe events. And yet we still need the personal touch. The personal power of the promised prophet who can actually invade our lives and change our hearts. Because the Christian life is not self-help. The Christian life is surrendering control of our lives to this heart changer. The Old Testament begins with the glory of God's creation. It ends with God saying he will give up on his creation unless, 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 unless this Elijah-caliber prophet can truly change people's hearts, can truly change your heart, can truly change my heart. The hopes of all the world, the hopes and fears of all the years, of all your years, rest on this prophet. And not knowing his name, the people waited with anticipation. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. This is the last book of the Old Testament, and they waited. And they waited for about 400 years. From generation to generation, they waited. 400 years later, there came a prophet named John the Baptist who said he was there to prepare the way for an even greater prophet, for his cousin, in fact, named Jesus. And the communion that we are about to receive is our reminder, it's our remembrance, that the hopes and fears of all the years still rest upon this prophet, this Jesus, fully God, fully human, God's literal personal intervention into human history. Jesus is faithful to those who are faithless. Jesus is merciful to those who need mercy. Jesus is generous beyond what our minds can fathom. The God of all creation was wrapped in human flesh and moved into the neighborhood as the hinge point of all history, and that through his sacrifice, you can be forgiven, and that through his victory, you can be declared victorious, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. And that there's always room for one more person. There's always room for you in this family. There's always room for whatever one more person you want to bring along in this family. Communion is this amazing opportunity that we have 
to come and receive, maybe even for the first time, to come and receive as reminding ourselves we have surrendered control of our lives to the promised prophet. We are not putting God at a distance from ourselves. In fact, we are allowing him to get down inside of us, to change us, to personally intervene in our lives and point us in a new direction, to realize that you are forgiven, you are victorious, declared victorious, You are eternally God's child because of not who you are, but whose you are. The events of our lives alone don't change us. It's the personal touch. It's the personal intervention that transforms. So the question I'd like you to reflect on uh, as we start to head to communion is this one. How have you seen God transform you through his personal intervention in your life? How have you seen God transform you through his personal intervention in your life? Through scripture, through the community of others who discuss the things of God, through a deeper confidence in the hope of eternity, most of all through Jesus who sought you out, who is seeking you out, that you might be transformed. Transformed not by a principle, but by a person. Transformed by Jesus. Transformed by the promised prophet who invites you to come and be transformed by him. Not to keep him at arm's length, but to let him get down inside of you where he can change you from the inside out. So Gray will prepare us. I simply want to encourage those of you who follow Jesus, no matter how well you feel like you do that, I hope you will receive this morning and be reminded of God's personal intervention in your life. For those of you who are at that place of wanting to step over the starting line of faith, I pray that you will receive this morning as your act of surrender Surrendering control of your life to this capital P promised prophet at the end of the Old Testament. If you're not today a follower of Jesus, you're just here exploring more on the cautious or the somewhat curious camp. That's wonderful. I hope you'll take this time to reflect on what you've heard, on what you've sung, on what you've been going through, and see if you can't see that that line, that stream of God intervening in your life. And when you're ready to put your faith in Christ, feel free to join us when we receive communion the next time. With that, Pastor Gray, lead us.